Welcome to the First Time Facilitator Podcast. Whether you're a first-time facilitator or a seasoned pro, listen in for tips and tricks to make a bigger impact at the next workshop you deliver. And now, your host, she'd rather buy very rather over being very bored, Leanne Hughes. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Leanne Hughes. I'm here to help you book out five more workshops for every workshop that you deliver. Last week on the show, the interview tables were turned. I was on the receiving end. I was a guest on my own show. I had the wonderful, the funny, the enthusiastic Jan Schmander interviewing me about the First Time Facilitator podcast journey. And I made an announcement in that episode, if you haven't listened in yet, that this podcast will be pausing slash stopping well, something, it'll be ending in some way at episode 200. It's not to say that I might randomly release an episode here and there, but officially new episodes coming to a close. However, there will be from the vault episodes released every week until I decide on what the next new thing is. All of these episodes will have new intros for you to keep you up to date with what's going on. So if this show has impacted you or you'd like to share something you learnt as a result of listening in to the podcast, head on over to firsttimefacilitator.com forward slash 200. And on there, there'll be instructions to leave a voice note that I'd like to play on the final episode when 200 rolls around. Anyway, let's move forward and that's what we have to do. We have to keep moving forward and I'm excited to share today's episode with you. And look, something I think a lot about when it comes to ideas is how they are, sometimes we we have ideas, but we always want to cement them in reality. So it's really hard to brainstorm and think big because as you do it, you're simultaneously thinking, okay, come on, like this is my self-talk. Okay, come on, Leanne, like how would that even work? I don't have the resources. I don't even have the contacts, right? So this is this is coming out as I try to brainstorm. So even as someone, I don't think I'm particularly risk averse. Like I like taking risks, but I often knock down my own thoughts before even thinking like, how would I make that possible? Now, today's guest inspires her clients, people like me, people in organizations to go against that and to really focus on the possibilities, what could happen. In fact, we do a live role play on this call. And yes, my heart rate was racing when we started it, but I shared my internal thought process around that following the little exercise. My guest today who inspired this is Shannon Dean Hughes. That's right. You can never have enough Hugheses in your life. We're not related though. Shannon is an experiential trainer with a calling to enliven the innate genius, creative resourcefulness, and easeful collaboration in businesses of all shapes and sizes. In her practice, Enlivened Studios, she brings strategic business mentorship and experiential teaching practices to break down cross-team silos and emboldened transformational leadership. Shannon has over 20 years in corporate marketing and HR strategy experience, plus a lifetime of proven leadership, performance, and creative devotion. Her work combines skill and heart into every Enlivened Studios session. Through this work, Shannon is on a mission to help people live fully, lead consciously, and impact the world with joy and collective aliveness. On this episode, on today's show, Shannon shares how she incorporates improv techniques into her work to really bring this creativity and collaboration to life. I really like her ideas around improv. In fact, she busts some myths that I had about improv being very loose and how it actually, there's a lot of process behind it. And I really like her idea activity of making your partner look good, which we'll talk about in this conversation. She also shares some activities that she's delivered via Zoom. 
One around silence, which I think could be used in your sessions in a, in a variety of ways. I encourage you to reach out to Shannon if it inspires you to try something different in your workshop. She also has a download to grab your free guide for tips and tricks to enliven up your virtual gathering over at enlivenstudios.com forward slash download. And of course, when the conversation is over, don't forget to join our community of over 1,600 facilitators from all over the world on our group. It's called The Flip Chart. If you'd like to keep in touch when the show is over, when we get to episode 200, head on over to leannehughes.com forward slash subscribe to get my newsletter. I also read it out so you can get the audio version there. Show notes for this one are at firsttimefacilitator.com forward slash episode 198. Now onto the show. I am so excited to welcome onto the First Time Facilitator podcast. We have Shannon Hughes. Shannon, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. This is exciting. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. I often joke, Shannon, I've seen like a lot of your energy, your humor on all the platforms, uh, particularly Instagram as well. So it's lovely to chat to you today. And I often start this podcast by finding out, we know facilitation is such a diverse career field and everyone has their own path of finding it. How did you find this field? Like what really inspired you to, to become a facilitator? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say I've always been a performer. I mean, I'm an only child. I grew up really needing to take care of myself in terms of keeping myself busy. And I always kind of gravitated towards performing and whether it be just for my folks and kind of horsing around as a kid. And then as I got older, being on stage is honestly my happy place. And so the more opportunity I have to get in front of people and really hold space for people and shine in terms of in terms of being in service of other people in a performative way, and I don't mean performance in terms of my performance, but gathering people and really what I like to say is helping them kind of ignite their genius, whether that be in a facilitation space or whether it's me as a performer in an audience or a storytelling format. So I think it's really that kind of that that the creative nature of facilitation, the people nature of facilitation, and that performative element that I think is really really gravitating to me. Mm, I don't know many of the, yeah. uh, if you're listening to this conversation, if you also, I just basically, if, you, if you're watching YouTube, you can see me, I noted that phrase down, ignite the genius, like in the room, it's very powerful. And I think um, we're very similar in that regard. I really love the buzz from being around um, a group and igniting that. And a lot of people in the flip chart community talk about that aha moment mm-hmm. as well. So what were you doing like in your career that were you getting opportunities to perform or were you purely a performance artist? And then you decided to jump in, like what was the sort of steps that got you there? So I worked for the same company for quite a while. Um, They treated me well. I know that you and I have a lot in common when it comes to having left the corporate world. And yeah, I was really, I wore a lot of different hats throughout my 15 years or so with that company. And a lot of it was in client service, account management, strategic planning. So quite a bit of opportunity to devise plans, come up with strategy and really dive in deep from a discovery perspective with clients to identify the needs and then put together whatever it was that that was needed to support them. So it was a recruitment focused advertising and branding agency that I worked for for a number of years. So yeah, I had a lot of really fantastic opportunity to uncover needs, identify where the needs were and where our organization was able to support those needs. And so a lot of time in front of people. Now, here's the tricky part. 
I have two kids who are now a little bit older, but at the time, back in 2016, maybe even 2015, I realized that 60-hour work weeks or whatever were not working for me. And taking phone calls to Asia Pacific from the sideline of a soccer game wasn't working for me. And so I came to my 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 boss and I said, you know, I don't think this is going to work. I think I I think I got to go. And thankfully, we were able to work something out where I could stay at the organization and just kind of go to more of a part-time schedule. However, that was a financial operations manager role, which even just saying those words, those words coming out of my mouth is like, you were what now? You were a what? A financial what? Totally just not congruent, not aligned at all with what I was really put on this earth to do. So I did it until I couldn't do it anymore. And then I left in 2018 and kind of started to uncover what was next for me, which led me here. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And a lot of the time, something I spoke about with Jeffrey Shaw on a previous podcast is trying to break that corporate mold. Like we're, we're in this organization, we're having to do things a certain way. And so when we break out on our own, we are like, oh, can I do that? And you're like, it's really hard to sort of break that and go, we actually can do anything we want. And so for you and bringing in your performance element, something that you've loved, it's been a passion for you since you, you, know, you were a kid. Like, how did you decide that was what you wanted to incorporate into the work that, that you did? Did it take you a while to find it? Or was it very obvious? Like, oh, of course, Shannon, you should do this. Like, how did you discover that connection? In terms of my path to facilitation? Yeah. Well, and also the perform, like bringing in your performance side and the improv work that you do into the workshop space. I think that that was just kind of a natural fit. It's sort of how I show up just in general, whether that be at work or in community with people that I'm just, you know, family and friends. It's kind of, it's just kind of who I am. It's part of my DNA, I would say. In terms of how it fit into facilitation, when right before I left my corporate job, I, you know, I had the inclination that that a big shift was coming, but I wasn't sure what it was going to be. And I went back and took improv classes at Bay Area Theater Sports, which is the abbreviation is BATS and it's in San Francisco. It's a prominent improv school. And I thought, well, you know what? I love this once upon a time and maybe it just has corporate relevance. Maybe I take it because it's a creative avenue. I don't know. So I just jumped into it sort of with that yes and mindset, I guess. It was so evident, Leanne, from the get-go, the principles and the tenets of improv and their relevance, their direct relevance to collaboration and communication and how we can show up together in terms of driving innovation and spontaneity. And so, yeah, that's kind of where I ended up going, okay, wait a minute, there's some dots to connect here. What's going on here? And then I started to kind of peel back the onion and and discover what was next and, and drove me to really here I am today with Enliven Studios. It's great having that sort of mindset, uh, not only for the participants in your workshop, that whole yes and, but also when we use it on ourselves and like what other possibilities. Because like, a lot of time we do have, seem to have like a negative bias, like we think, oh, worst case scenario to protect ourselves. But yes and opens up those possibilities of, hey, well, what if it could be this great or what if this idea could work? So can you just share some ideas like of how you've used that, the improv work um, with some of your clients in your workshops? Like how do you get that sort of thinking going when we're sort of, we're sort of trained to be like risk averse. Like what does it open up for your clients? 
Well, yes, and is one of uh, many different tenets and practices of improv. So many people think that improv is just, oh, it's easy. It's something that we do. We just make something up out of nothing. You know, it's got some creative element and it's it must not have any structure. And it's actually quite the opposite. The practice of improv is highly structured. It does have a set of, and I'm using air quotes, rules around it or practices that need to be engaged in order for a scene to go down successfully. Yes, and is the most prominent. One And there are a number of others like make your partner look good, which I just love because you, yeah, right. You could think of all these applications of being in, whether it's client meetings or your gosh, so many opportunities to think about how we can make one another shine even though we are wired to sort of operate as independent people, you know, that we have to have the loudest voice and we have to stick to our story, but to shift and allow others to have the spotlight and energize and find the magic in other people and let them shine is a really important one. But in terms of yes and, it's so funny because I use, I teach a lot around yes and and practicing a yes and mindset. And even when I'm giving demonstrations or modeling games and exercises that we can use, well, let's try it. Do you want to, would you mind trying? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Let's just go with something fairly easy. Like, uh, okay. You and I are, let's say, let's say we're dear friends and we are planning a birthday party for another friend of ours. Okay. Now I'm going to offer something up. I'll just kind of get us started and I'll make, I'll make a recommendation of maybe where we're going to go or how this party is going to be planned out. And you are going to yes and me, but not just yes and. What I'm going to invite you to do is I'll say something and you are going to say yes. And then you're going to repeat what I just said and then build on it. So it's going to look like this. I'll just give an example. I might say, Leanne, gosh, it's going to be such an important birthday. We should, you know where we should go? We should go to the fairgrounds and rent the whole place out. Now you'll say, yes, we should rent the whole place out. And okay, so you're acknowledging what you heard from me and you're building on it. Do you want to give it a shot? Yeah, go. Okay. Yes. Yes, Shannon, we should rent the whole place out and we should get our friend's favorite artist in the world to come on, to fly on in and play a set for us. Yes. Yes. We should hire their favorite artist to play a set for us. That would be amazing. And when the band gets started, as the band starts to play, we should have an entire parade come in of all of our best friends with balloons and all sorts of blimps flying in the air. So that's kind of how you go back and forth. But the funny thing is, Leanne, is that we so much more often than we know, we use the word but more than we use the word and. Mm -hmm. And we do it without even knowing it. It's a subconscious habitual pattern that we do. And the thing about using the word but is that when you say the word but, it nullifies everything that you've said before. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of striking everything that you'd said before. So to your question earlier, I do teach a lot around a yes and mindset and its application in brainstorming, collaboration, divergent and convergent ideation sessions, ways that we can lean in with curiosity rather than bias or, you know, shutting one another down. 
And it can be transformational, um, not only in the work in the sessions that I run. I mean, people come back and share such amazing stories, whether they be sent away, kind of tell a a silly story like the one you and I told. But oftentimes I'll send people into breakout rooms if we're in a virtual setting or in a real life, you know, if it's at a conference or whatnot. And I'll offer up to, you know, pair people up or put them in triads and to yes and one another for the sake of overcoming a um, client objection that they might be getting, right? to solve some of their sales challenges, or perhaps they are ideating around a new product line or a service. Well, how can you yes and into that to make sure that you're accepting one another's offers and building on it to come up with as many possible opportunities as you can until we start to drill down what's realistic? It's so um, that realistic. I just want to pause on that because even when I was talk- like saying my yes and back to you about the, the artist, as I was saying it, in my mind, I was going, that would never happen, right? So it's so <laughs> funny. Like, of course, as a part of it, I was playing it. But then that whole being realistic just interrupts us all the time and really just holds us back and more so for ourselves every day, right? So we're like, oh, I, I could do this, but that won't work out. Everyone else is like, it, it, we're constantly negotiating against ourselves with the whole realistic thing. And that holds us back more than anything is not being brave enough to even think it, to even say it. So I just wanted yeah. to share that with listeners that, I mean, I love ideation. It's my number one strength theme. I love it. But even when I was saying that, but even as I was saying that to you, I was going, come on, Leanne, as if for, for me, it would have been David Guetta would be coming to this party. And I'm like, that would never happen. Right. So, and it's just a hypothetical conversation. So do you find, um, and I'm not some, I'm not conservative at all, but do you find people in your groups, you might work with like technical people or people that are really based and grounded in reality and encounter any type of resistance as you start these exercises? And how do you deal with that if, if there is? Yeah, yeah. I think so much of that is addressed in the way that I design the workshop because you can't start out with that. You can't welcome together a group of people who, you know, are not wired for that. And really they're living in their prefrontal cortex, which is making them manage everything that they're, all the realities of what's feasible and what's not, and what's going to work. And what are the, you know, all those filters that are constantly regulating us and keeping us safe and sane. But at the same time, Sometimes we want to kind of get into a playful present moment and allow for some creativity. And so it really comes down to how we architect, and you know this too, how you architect the sessions. I mean, there has to be a beginning and there's a climax and there's kind of an end there, right? So oftentimes in the beginning, there's quite a bit. My mantra when I facilitate is connect early, connect often. So how can we get connection and engagement right off the bat in a meaningful way that starts to soften the group a little bit as a collective and get them to kind of ease up on grasping their story and whatever identity they're really trying to hold on to, whether that be status-driven or whether it be just because they're kind of systematized or hardwired to believe a certain way or to say, no, 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 that's not practical. So how can we play with that a little bit, whether it's through exercises around engaging with each other, or maybe some really kind of soft and low stakes storytelling or story sharing with one another and get ourselves into a kind of a collective energetic moment that is rooted, if the more rooted in quote unquote play, it is the more present you're going to get people. And the more you're going to start to kind of release some of that prefrontal cortex, like management reality stuff and start to ease back into a little bit more of a creative mindset. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's, it's so much of it is in the design. And, you know, to your point, 
it's also important to play a little bit of yes and about, you know, having a, a rock star come to your birthday party. Like, let's start there and just go kind of silly and have everybody kind of giggling about, oh my God, that's never going to happen. Yeah. And then we can talk about some of the realities of what's going on in the business. And another prompt for some of these is when I introduce some of these yes and or any of these exercises, I often say, okay, we're going to put together a birthday party, but we don't have to worry about budget. There's no such thing as time, right? Time doesn't matter. And even physics, physics doesn't play into this. And I sort of joke, I just joke with it, you know, like reality as we know it does not exist. So just go for the moon. Who cares? David Guetta, great. Let's bring him in. Like, let, let's rock out to your birthday. And it doesn't matter if it's actually possible or not. Well, if that's the case, I'll, it would have to be the Beatles, right? So we'll, we'll <laughs> let him speak in real life, but we can get him. <laughs> there you go. Maybe, that's yeah, right. Yeah. That's fantastic. So with your process that you've created, like I'm sure like over time you've iterated this to, to get it right. And then COVID hit, right? So you then you're forced to do this virtually. I'm sure with a lot of the work with the play stuff, you can get a sense in a room of like, you can hear that, you know, the incidental laughter and things going on. How have you shifted with uh, with delivering things virtually, with delivering your sessions and getting a sense of, are we ready to go there right now? Well, like many of us facilitators, it took a little bit of work at the onset, right? To figure out the technology and all the like, all the ways that we're going to connect and engage with each other in a way that's going to make any sense at all, much less having it be a memorable experience where we can read one another. So a little bit of it just came with experience and doing it. However, I'd say, I don't know, I think reading a room, even if it's a virtual room, if you'd asked me that question 18 months ago, I would have said it's virtually impossible, that it's impossible to read a room when people are on screens. And of course, it does depend sometimes on the size of the group. I do try to keep my workshop groups fairly small so that you can, if you're trying to shift through a number of different screens and keep tabs on how everyone's feeling emotionally, then that gets a little tricky. It's a lot of just touching in and touching base. I'm a big believer in the checking in at the beginning, checking in midway allowing for breaks, leveraging the chat, making sure you have, making sure I have a co-facilitator or someone who's running tech who can make sure that we're keeping tabs on how everyone's doing. If there's somebody, and of course, on set, I'm always very aware of, you know, asking questions or making sure that people know that they are in a safe space and that they can take care of themselves if they need to. And sometimes even creating an extra breakout room if people need to just kind of step away and take a minute. Because if you offer that up as an opportunity for someone to leave the entire meeting, sometimes it's tricky to get people back. But if you've got a separate room, sort of a, you know, as if in the real life, there'd be a kind of a water cooler space or somewhere that you could kind of go and hang out by yourself and just breathe. It's important to create that extra space too, so that people feel taken care of all along the way. Yeah, I've never even thought of doing that. Just having like a side room as you're going on and people can just exit and go there. And that is yeah. really clever. Yeah, but you're right. It absolutely does symbolize that sort of uh, that hallway space. Like, because that was my favorite space at conferences. I would actually do like the anti-conference and just talk to people outside the hallway. We'd have great chats. Yeah. I think that, that that is such an overlooked opportunity. I think a lot of facilitators do it brilliantly. Others, not, not as well. And I think it's also... I think we're still sort of getting used to this virtual space. And what I'm talking about is that at the close of a session, trying to, you know, to, to hang out in the room and let people know that it's okay to chit chat or ask questions or wait in a queue and have a word with the keynote. When you're at conferences, there's usually a line of people who are kind of waiting around to ask questions of the speaker or to engage with one another. And 
I think we're still in this place with COVID where, or with virtual facilitation where people feel like, I, I guess it's time to leave now. And they just leave the session. And it's kind of a shame. Yeah. And even from your perspective, it's like when I hang up the call, I'm like in this room and I'm like, okay, these 30 people have just disappeared. Like, and it's just so instant. It's, it's, it's a weird feeling. One situation where I was like, okay, yep. But you know, blah, 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 we're all done, but you're welcome to hang out. Okay. Bye everyone. And like no one left. And so it was just, but, but people felt like there was a shift in, it became a more like the official part was over. So it became more casual anyway. And people were just lingering around trying to hear what other questions were being asked as well. So I agree with that. And I think it's worth buffering in that, like even just setting, if you've got a session, putting in like a 30 minute with, you know, decompression time, like built into yeah. your illness, you're not, you're not bouncing around. So in terms of your preparation for workshops and you got your design, like what do you do? Like maybe a week out or even the day of your session to prepare yourself, get into state for what you're about to deliver. Lots of music, loud music. I just have to move my body. In fact, whether it's before the session And even during the session, oftentimes, once we start a session, I will kind of jokingly say, okay, guys, we're not confined to this Brady Bunch box. And then I'll stand up. I'll quite literally stand up and like put my foot up into the screen and be like, see, see, I have feet and elbows and I've got, you know, I've got, and I'll stand up and move around because just the more I move my energy around, the better off I'm going to be. And the more prepared I'll be able to bring that energy forward. So in terms of day of, it's a lot of movement and music. Yes, yes, yes. The week before and two weeks before, the way that I design involves oversized sticky notes and then a lot of small sticky notes with all different colors and all different marker color, you know, very bright, vibrant, energetic in their own right in terms of my use of color. And I'll start like that in my office, just kind of take over a whole corner of my space. And then I go back down and bring that down to Miro and I'll move things around there just so it's a little bit more architected and I can kind of establish some of those finer details and nuances, especially if I'm trying to work and collaborate with somebody on the tech side who I need to give instruction to, you know, obviously you need to kind of digitize that so that it's easier for them to follow along and see what you, what, what needs to get done. But I, In answer to your question, I think it's a lot of movement. I have to move. And a lot of that has to do with just being on stage, man. I just, ah, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I have to move as well. Like at that decompression time I talked about, that even after a Zoom workshop, I need to like get out. And because I do, you definitely do feel like you're in some confined space when you're you're on this. And I love that you getting more of yourself. Actually, as as Shannon was saying that now, it was a trigger for me to like start using my hands because I'm like (laughs) not use them. It's funny how we just don't use our hands enough in these Zoom calls. Like we just forget. We're like these stationary talking. I know. I know. It's so true. And we're also have this natural propensity that we have to stare at the screen. Like it's not okay. If I look out the window, <laughs> like God forbid, I look out the window and somebody thinks I'm not paying attention. And so, yeah, I spend a lot of time at the, on, at the beginning of my sessions to introduce all these ideas and invite people to remember that we are human beings if we need to stand and stretch, if we want to stare out the window, use your hands, don't use your hands, use a pen, take notes however you want to. And just to continue to lean in to the experience with curiosity and openness, whatever shape that needs to take for you and however you want to execute on that. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. Cause everybody learns differently. There's all, everybody needs to learn and pay attention and 
and be in a space differently from one another. So you have to yeah, that's that. it. It doesn't all look the same, like just staring means paying attention. Just on the on the point of input, I was at a, a learning professionals networking thing last night. We were talking about flying again and I sort of <laughs> I made the loose connection between facilitators and pilots where, you know, I've, I've spoken to a lot of pilots and they say, look, flying a plane is really easy. Where you get tested is when there's an emergency and you've got to then, you know, override things and sort the plane out. I thought it was quite similar with facilitation is that running a training session or if you've got a strategy process, that's fairly easy to deliver. It's when something happens in the room, right, where there might be an emergency or there might be a disruptive participant or someone that doesn't engage and says something. That's when we're really sort of tested in our role as facilitator. So I'm just curious, I'm putting you on the spot here with thinking, but have you sort of had those moments where it's like you're not in autopilot anymore, you're being tested? Has that sort of come up over the last sort of five years in your own business? Yes, definitely. And in I can kind of tie this back too to an earlier question that you'd asked around engagement in a virtual setting. And it's tricky because there's different types of sessions and different types of workshops, right? There's workshops where, where the people that are in the room have kind of been voluntold, right? That they need to be in that room. And so they're there because they work for the company and this is part of what they're being asked to do because it's a learning and development opportunity. But not everybody wants to be in the learning and development workshop necessarily. They're busy. They've got things to do. And so, yeah, I've had um, I've had quite a few lately where the bulk of the folks that are on the call are highly engaged. We've got lots of opportunity for engagement. People are talking and contributing and putting things in the chat. And then you've always got kind of the one one or two who are very clearly checking their email and completely tuned out. So it's an exercise in how to invite those folks with inclusivity and belonging without making them feel like they're being ostracized. And I know that I'm speaking your language and probably a lot of the listeners on the podcast in terms of how do you do that as a facilitator? And what I'll often do is I will leverage the exercises that I'm building and whether it be yes and, or um, a writing prompt, or an invitation for folks to share something about themselves in the chat. And so in doing that and putting those invitations out to energize and get people connected through an exercise, will sort of wake up some of those folks on the call that aren't necessarily contributing. I haven't necessarily, I'm trying to think if I've had anything in my recent experience where someone's been downright confrontational or a challenge. And I can't, nothing's coming directly to mind. Thank goodness. But I know that 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 is tricky. Yeah. And another thing to consider too, is there's a conference going on right now. Um, I'm a member of a global network called the Applied Improv Network. And it's a global association um, comprised of people who do what I do, whether it be in business or education or healthcare or um, a lot of people use this work with for like psychotherapy and trauma informed with helping people with PTSD. Yeah, there's actually a, a good amount of work happening right now in New York City where there's some folks in my community who are helping to incite dialogue between members of underserved communities and the police officers that are, you know, the law enforcement officers that are in that community so that dialogue can happen in a healthier way through applied improv techniques like yes and or like listening and spontaneity and things like that. I was at um, at a session last night, which was part of this conference, and I was running a workshop and somebody very astutely and rightly pointed out 
you know, that it's important to continue to look at this work. Cause I was, I had put people into breakout rooms in pairs and I had asked them to do a little bit of sharing and it was all very playful and very low stakes. But when we came back, somebody had contributed some feedback, which was how important it is to continue looking at this work or any of our work as facilitators through the lens of equity. And the fact that there are triggers and there are different viewpoints and different worldviews and different cultures and ways of communicating that absolutely need to be at the forefront of how we do our work because it's so easy for us, the collective us, I'm not talking about specifics here, but if we come from a place of privilege, how might this look from another person's viewpoint, whether that is culture and race and gender, or whether it's just background and experience and how somebody may have grown up and what might be triggering for them may not be triggering for me. And to keep that top of mind when we do any of this work. So this happened to me yesterday, Shannon, on the call. I created this framework for, I was doing a, a speech and I talked about three topics. One was purpose, engagement, and technology. And mm-hmm. so the acronym is PET, right? So at the beginning, like, oh, yeah, this be easy to remember, PET. So let us know in chat, like, what PET do you have, right? So that was, for me, was a very innocent type of question to ask. The Then it came through a little bit later on, one of the participants to shared, look, just letting you know that that question actually triggered me because my pet died recently. And I was wow. like, oh, yeah, but I'm grateful she brought that up. And I said, because we're talking about, hey, like questions that they can ask their groups as well. So I said, look, a great opportunity is then maybe getting a collection of, of opening questions that you think, you know, work as a group to decide on what those are, because I would not have, not even have imagined right yeah until she she said that to me and so it really is interesting and at the same time we're also human so I'm grateful she brought that to my attention because it's raised my awareness of like oh wow a seemingly innocent question like how could this be interpreted and what is a good question so yeah Yeah. that was raised yeah it, it you know it reminds me of the work of Amy Edmondson in psychological safety and that one of the main skills that leaders or any of us really need to acknowledge is acknowledging fallibility. We are human. And so it's more important for us to engage in the conversations that we are than for us to hide from them for fear of being wrong. And I mean, as long as we're handling it with poise and as long as we're choosing our words and our conversation and our exercises with intention and purpose and belonging and equity, we have to try. We have to get out there and have those conversations. And in your case, and your story reminded me of one that I can say for another time, but I had a similar experience where someone said that I was saying, I intentionally choose joy in my life. That's what I do. And I said, I kind of had this air about me like everybody does. And a woman pulled me aside later and she said, that doesn't resonate with me at all. And she had a story about her upbringing and it was triggering for her. So what I did in that situation and as facilitators, I know it sounds like we're all doing this too, is to say, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for telling me that. If there's conversation that needs to happen, or if there's curiosity that it can be expressed in a way that feels comfortable and nurturing to do that, or maybe it's just, thank you. I hear you. And I appreciate you. And then end of story, right? Yeah. And to, to let the other person know, like, I don't need to hold on to being right. I don't need to hold on to being seen and heard and standing my ground for the sake of it. I can be flexible. And I got to drink my own Kool-Aid in doing that too, because that's what I'm teaching is flexibility and yeah, agility. That, that's it. We have to role model what we're, what we're teaching as well. And so and that, I think that is the difference between, again, being a first-time facilitator and someone a bit more experienced is when I was a first-time facilitator, if that had happened, I probably would have maybe even in my mind defended it, like defended the question, like, oh, it was an innocent thing. But now I'm like more open to, 
oh, I'm interested, curious around that. I wonder what other questions I'm asking that could potentially have that spin. So yeah, it's just diving deeper into that. And also when I'm on the other end and I feel triggered by something someone is saying, I love to then reflect on that using my facilitation skills on myself and go, why, what is it about that that sets me off? So it's really an interesting conversation, I think. And as you said, we're just, we're humans. Like you have to say something in order to learn. You can't just sort of sit around in silence either. Right. You know, Michael Bungay Stanier, and I know that you, um, and I references in my workshop last night too, just his whole, all of the work that he does around offering advice and how that, how advice can be, giving advice can be a status play. And it doesn't feel like that because we're sort of hardwired to think that it's the right thing to do. And it's us being giving and it's us being supportive when it's not, oftentimes it's not what's needed. And oftentimes the person who's come to you for quote unquote advice already has everything they need. And so last night in this workshop I was doing with the Applied Improv Network, we actually played a lot with silence. In fact, I invited them into an experience where I put them into breakout rooms and pairs. And I said, the only instruction for them was to stay muted. Their only instruction was to stay muted. And that's all I said. And I sent them into their breakout rooms. And then what I did, so people are, you know, pair, 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 pair. And I left them in there for about a minute. And and by the way, I should say, this is the last third of the workshop, right? So we've done quite a bit before I got to this place. And we've been talking about advice giving and silence and the power of silence. And so, uh, and then what I did, and I got this um, exercise actually from a friend of mine, Christina McFadden. I left them in there for 60 seconds. And then I started to move them around without them knowing from one room to the next. So you would be with somebody and the next thing you know, somebody else would be with the two of you. And then you'd be moved to somewhere else. So obviously you're having to click the accept button. So it's not that surprising, but people are constantly moving in and out of different breakout rooms. And when I brought people back, there was some reflection about the power of silence and just how kind of awesome, not in a cool way, but like in an awesome way Mm -hmm. it was to sit in silence. Other reflections were just utter discomfort, which makes sense. And then the ones that were just got most of us giggling is that we find ways to communicate even when we're not doing it verbally. People Uh, were, right? People were yeah, like writing. Yeah, that's probably, yeah. yeah. That is such an interesting exercise. It it is, and it's got application in a number of different ways. Obviously, you can you can use it when it comes to storytelling. What sort of stories are you telling yourself, or what are you reading about the other person or the background that they might have behind them, without being able to fill the space with words. Or this idea around playing with silence when it comes to just being with it. Because we are not, we don't sit in silence very often unless we're being consciously doing it because we're meditating or we're, you know, just unplugging from our devices for a hike or something like that. But most of the time, well, I'm an Enneagram 7, so I'm always like, stuff is always coming into me. I have to sit back sometimes and remind myself just to shut it. Yeah. Well, that was funny because when um, you mentioned Michael Bungay saying this, so I was a guest on his audible book for the advice trap. And he yeah. gave us, he goes, oh, pick your chapter that you want to talk about. So I picked one. Uh, I think it was, it was pretty, again, a pretty innocent chapter, but there was a bit in there about silence. And he, he wanted us to send through a few bullet points. And I avoided the silence part of the chapter. I just talked about the other things. And, and his first question was, hey, Leanne, you're a pretty chatty person. Like, how do you deal with silence? I was like, damn it. 
<laughs> he knows. So I, I was like, look, I feel really uncomfortable with it. It's really awkward. Mm-hmm. I'm learning. It, I know it's an important skill. I know it's important for coaching, facilitating. I find it hard to tell myself to shut up. And so, I mean, he was a good coach and, and attacking like that tree. <laughs> he knew that that was a trigger point for me and still a work in progress. So thank you so much for sharing that. And you're right. It, it is about that. Um, that's what he says in the book. It just shows that you think you're better than that person. I, I had to read that multiple times and think, yeah, me he's too. actually, you know, it's, it's very powerful. So Shannon, this has been awesome. You shared some really great activities and really sort of busted that myth around improv about it being a loose process as to, impose, you know, it's quite a tight process. So I think every time I talk to someone in improv, I get inspired, I'm like I need to do it, but I even more so after chatting to you. Do you have any advice for first-time facilitators, people that are starting this career um, with working with groups? That's a good question. Advice for first-time facilitators. I would just say, just be true to how you feel you're called into this, right? I mean, Facilitation can take so many different shapes and forms. There's a thousand different ways to do it. And yes, you're going to lean on coaches and yes, you're going to talk to people. And yes, you know, especially if you're like me in Enneagram 7, you're going to come across all these different ways to teach yourself what's right and try to figure it out. But my advice would be of all the things that you take in, just remember that it's the congruence to who you actually are because there's only one of you and pick what's needed and leave the rest. Just pick what's needed and leave the rest. And the other piece of advice I think I'd give that just came to me when I was first starting this, my, I was talking with a very wise friend and I said, well, who am I? Who am I to do this? I mean, there's a bunch of other people that do something like this and you know, what's going to set me apart. And she said something that was great. She said, "Oh." Oh, right. Okay. So there's, there's one pizza place in this town. So there's not, we're not allowed to have any other pizza places in this town. Is that what you're telling me? There's only one pizza place that's allowed to be here. And her point was, I am me and I am going to bring to this work all the Shannon-ness that it needs. And that alone sets me apart. And so I would say those two things of all the things that you read and learn and try to teach yourself, take what's needed and leave the rest. And then the other part is that you are the only one of you and you will bring your own magic to this work. Uh, I'm sure there's listeners that think they're listening to this going that Shannon is talking to me directly right now. Yeah. And that's a perfect <laughs> advice. I would have loved that. I mean, it's still relevant for me now, but even as I was starting trying to be, be like every other facilitator I had encountered, but it's like, no, what's true to me, what will work. I think that's, that's wonderful. Shannon, if our listeners would love to connect with you, where can they find you? Where should they reach out to you? Yeah, thank you. Enlivened Studios is my website. And I'm on LinkedIn uh, um, as Shannon Dean Hughes. So we can maybe put that in the show notes because my middle name's in there. And then I also have a free download that I call Tips and Tricks to Enliven Up Your Virtual Gatherings. And that's at uh, enlivenedstudios.com slash download. So pretty easy to remember, but those are sort of where I, where I hang out. Amazing. And we'll pop all that, as you said, in the show notes for this episode. Shannon, it's been awesome to connect. Thank you so much for being on the show. Great. Thanks so much, Leanne. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for sticking around. You've reached the end of another episode of the First Time Facilitator podcast. Connect with the show at firsttimefacilitator.com or follow me on Instagram at Leanne Hughes to find out what I'm up to during the week. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with someone who will also appreciate the insight and make it easier for yourself and subscribe to the show in your podcast player of choice. Thank you so much for listening and chat to you next week.